Welcome back to the Bamboo History Podcast. I'm back from my Easter break and whew, I really enjoyed my break. It was really relaxing and really chill and I'm ready to go once again. For those of you who don't know, my name is Stephen and the Bamboo History Podcast is a podcast about Chinese and East Asian history. If this type of content is up your alley, please subscribe to my podcast right now and follow my Instagram too, at Bamboo History Podcast. Today marks my 50th episode of the Bamboo History Podcast. I cannot believe that I've gotten here, and I wouldn't have done so without all of your support. So thank you guys, thank you so much. So to commemorate this historical moment, <laughs> I'll do something unprecedented in Bamboo History Podcast history. Today, I'll be talking about China's modern history for the first time. I've been focusing only on ancient history up until this point, but hey, what the heck? I love China's modern history. There's a lot of episodes in China's modern history that I want to talk about, so let's just do it. Let's start now. And not only will it be your first dose of modern history, but I'm also going to do this piece of modern history in a three-part series. That's right, three-part series for the first time ever on the Bamboo History Podcast. What? I mean, is the Bamboo History Podcast host crazy or what? I mean, what could possibly warrant a three-part episode? Well, you're about to find out. China is governed by the Chinese Communist Party, and it is officially known as the People's Republic of China or known in Mandarin as Zhonghua Renmingunghe Guo. And as a disclaimer, before I go further, I wanted to say that any references to China for this three-part series will be referring to mainland China, Macau, and Hong Kong, and will exclude the island of Taiwan. The political status of Taiwan is controversial, so I'm not going to go too much into it, and I'll refer to Taiwan as just an island. This podcast is all about political neutrality, and the goal is to focus on the historical facts. The People's Republic of China have been governed by the Chinese Communist Party since 1949, after they defeated the nationalist Kuomintang Party, who had governed China as the Republic of China prior to 1949. But some of you must be wondering, how did the communists manage to take control of China? And how was the People's Republic of China created? I've known the answer for quite some time, since I was a child. And over the course of the next three weeks, I'm going to share this answer with you. There are many reasons why the communists beat the nationalists and won control of China. But a large part of it was through the military might of the communists. As the communist leader Mao Zedong M-A-O-Z-E-D-O-N-G, once said, In other words, political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. Simply put, the communists fought the nationalists in a long bloody civil war and won. This civil war, known as the Chinese Civil War, began from 1927 until 1937, when both sides stopped fighting each other to fight the Japanese. 
than when the Japanese surrendered in 1945. Both sides picked up where they left off and started fighting each other again from late 1945 until the Communists declared the People's Republic of China on the 1st of October 1949. However, even after the establishment of the People's Republic of China, both sides still engaged in conflicts. And technically, the Chinese Civil War has not ended as of today, as no truce or armistice has ever been signed by both parties. The next three weeks will be a three-part series of three military campaigns fought between 1948 and 1949. And more importantly for the Communists, three military campaigns that they won, which basically sealed the deal for them to take control of the entire country. These three decisive campaigns are known as the Liaoshen, Huaihai, and Pingjing campaigns. Today's episode will focus on the Liaoshen campaign, the first military campaign of the three that occurred in the second phase of the Chinese Civil War. So yeah, let's just get straight into it. The Liaoshen Campaign, Liaoshen spelt L-I-A-O-S-H-E-N, was a decisive military campaign fought between the Communists and the Nationalists in northeast China from September to November of 1948. In order for you all to understand the Liaoshen Campaign, we need to establish some context first. The Japanese had controlled the northeast of China from 1931 and established a puppet state called Manzhou Guo, or pronounced in English as Manchu Kuo, Manchu Kuo spelt M-A-N-C-H-U-K-U-O. The Japanese ruled northeast China under Manzhou Guo Manchu Kuo for almost 14 years, until 1945 when the Soviet Union launched a full-scale invasion on Manchukuo, defeating Japan in less than a month and taking control over northeast China. After the Japanese surrendered in September 1945, World War II came to an end. But that meant the communists and the nationalists, who had teamed up to fight the Japanese, restarted their own fight amongst themselves. In August 1945, the Soviet Union and the Republic of China under the Nationalist Government signed the Treaty of Friendship and Alliance, which recognised China's sovereignty over northeast China. Under this treaty, the Soviets would return all the lands they occupied in northeast China and parts of Inner Mongolia back to China and specifically back to the Nationalist Government. The treaty also stated that the Soviet Union would have to cease all of their support to the Chinese Communist Party. So based on this treaty, you would think that the nationalist government then would automatically gain control of northeast China after the Soviets left, right? But the problem was, at that time, the nationalists did not have a military presence in the northeast, whilst the communists actually did. You see, Besides the Soviets at the time, there was another military presence, and that was actually the Chinese Communists. B- 
because way back in 1936, whilst Northeast China was under Japanese rule, the Chinese communists had actually established a guerrilla army called the Northeast Anti-Japanese Army, or known in Chinese as Dongbei Kangri Lianjun. They had created this army to engage in guerrilla warfare with the Japanese in the northeast at the time when the Japanese had occupied northeast China. This meant then, by early 1946, when the last of the Soviet soldiers left China, the communist army was able to use its existing military presence under the northeast anti-Japanese army to quickly take over parts of northeast China as soon as the Soviets vacated. And, despite signing the Treaty of Friendship and Alliance, the Soviets turned a blind eye as well and just sort of let the Chinese communists take over these cities. Because both the Soviets and the Chinese Communist Party were communist, even though on paper they had agreed with the nationalists to not support the Chinese communists, the Soviets secretly were still their friends. The nationalists then realised that it wasn't as easy as they would have thought to occupy all of northeast China. And so, as soon as the Soviets left, they also made a mad scramble too to take as much territory as they could in northeast China. So this created a situation where both the communists and the nationalists were scrambling to get as much territory as they could in northeast China after the Soviets left, which resulted in both sides controlling roughly half of the entire northeast China region. Then, from 1946, they started fighting each other in the northeast. The communist forces in the northeast were led by General Lin Biao, Lin Biao spelt L-I-N-B-I-A-O. And under the command of Lin Biao, who was a tactical genius and a very, very clever military strategist, the communist army defeated the nationalists many times. And after two years of fighting, by 1948, the communists had occupied large areas in northeast China, whilst the nationalists only held on to a few key cities in the northeast, which were the cities of Shenyang, S-H-E-N-Y-A-N-G, Jinzhou, J-I-N-Z-H-O-U, and Changchun, C-H-A-N-G-C-H-U-N. The Chinese Communist Leadership Team and Lin Biao now believed they could strike the final blow and wipe out all of the nationalists from the northeast of China. And it is from here where we begin the Liaoshan Campaign. Let's start off the campaign with a quick face-off between the communist and the nationalist forces at the time of the Liaoshan campaign in late 1948. The communist army in the northeast was organised as the People's Liberation Army 4th Field Army, or PLA 4th Field Army for short. The PLA 4th Field Army was led by Commander-in-Chief Lin Biao, and they had 700,000 troops at their disposal and controlled large areas of the northeast Chinese countryside, along with some cities as well, such as Harbin. In addition, they also had local militia support of up to 330,000 troops. 
Now let's look at the Nationalists. By 1948, the Nationalist Army in the Northeast had been decimated by the Communists after years of fighting and only numbered around 550,000. The Nationalist forces were primarily concentrated in the cities of Shenyang, Jinzhou and Changchun and its immediate surrounding areas. The Nationalist forces in the Northeast were led by General Wei Li Huang, spelt W-E-I, L-I-H-U-A-N-G. Although Jiang Jieshi, spelt J-I-A-N-G-J-I-E-S-H-I, the leader of the Nationalists and the President of China at the time, made the ultimate call on strategic decisions in battle. Jiang Jieshi is often known by his romanticized name, Chiang Kai-shek. However, in this three-part series, I'll be referring to him as Jiang Jieshi, the Mandarin Chinese pronunciation of his name. To help you all understand the movements of the armies in this campaign, I've drawn a simple diagram for you to use as a reference, which will be posted on my Instagram, and you can also see it on YouTube. So, on the 12th of September 1948, the Liaoshan campaign commenced. The communists made the first move, and the PLA 4th Field Army advanced south to Jinzhou, the city that Lin Biao believed was the first city they needed to capture. Jinzhou was an important city in the northeast region. Geographically, it is an important city located in the Liaoxi Corridor, Liaoxi spelt L-I-A-O-X-I, which is a long narrow plain that connects northeast China to the rest of China. If the communists controlled Jinzhou, that meant they could control the Liaoxi Corridor, which meant that it could A. Cut off the nationalist link from the North China bases in Beijing and Tianjin, and B give the communists unfettered access into the North China region themselves so they can launch attacks on those nationalist forces that were in North China. The PLA 4th Field Army though started off by capturing a lot of the neighbouring towns and major strongholds before focusing on the big cities, and soon enough they reached Jinzhou and besieged it. And that's when the nationalists panicked. The Nationalists decided to respond by sending two armies to reinforce Jinzhou. The first army, which was the 9th Army, would leave Shenyang and march west to Jinzhou. The second army was the 17th Army, which was an army actually reinforced from North China. They would march from a city called Hulutao and march east to Jinzhou. So you'd have the 9th army coming from the east, and the 17th army coming from the west, and the idea was that these two armies would pincer the communists that were encircling Jinzhou, and then hopefully that would rescue Jinzhou from the communists and their nationalist defenders. The communists realised what their plan was, so they knew it was important to stop these two waves of nationalist reinforcements. To stop the advancing 17th army from Hulutao, the communists set up a blockade at a place called Ta Shan, spelt T-A-S-H-A-N, which was a small village between Hulutao and Jinzhou, 
with the goal of stopping the advancing 17th Army. The Battle of Tashan started on the 10th of October 1948. The Nationalists were desperate to break this blockade, and their aircraft dropped thousands of bombs onto the Communist positions, and their naval ships at sea nearby also shelled the Communist lines with their bombs. So you could imagine from the Communists' point of view, it was raining bombs all over their positions. But the Communists were prepared for this, and they hid themselves well in the face of these bombings. Then, the Nationalists sent their men out and charged at the Communist lines, wave after wave, wave after wave. And the Communists fought back tooth and nail as well, and every time the Nationalists charged at them, they beat them back. Every time they charged at them, they beat them back. The fierce defence of the Communist soldiers in Tashan bought valuable time for the Communists at Jinzhou. Knowing that this extra time bought needed to be capitalised, the Communist soldiers at Jinzhou launched their final attack on the city on the 14th of October 1948. And after a day and a half of fighting, the Communists captured Jinzhou on the 15th of October 1948. This battle at Jinzhou is actually quite personal for me, because my own grandpa was actually at Jinzhou at the time of the battle. He was an orderly or a medic of some sort at the Nationalist Army Hospital in Jinzhou at the time, and from what I've heard, he was hiding somewhere in a ditch when the communist soldiers found him and he surrendered to them. After he surrendered to them, the communists let him go and he went back home. Once Jinzhou was captured, the nationalists at Tashan, the 17th army, knew it was pointless to keep attacking and they retreated. The communist soldiers at Tashan, despite being outnumbered and being destroyed by artillery fire, had held off the 17th army nationalists for almost six days. Today, the Battle of Tashan, or the Blockade of Tashan, is seen as a key factor in the communist victory in the Liaoshan campaign. Now you all might be wondering, what about that other army, that other wave of nationalist reinforcements, you know, the 9th army that had marched from Shenyang west to rescue Jinzhou? Well, seven days before Jinzhou fell, on the 8th of October 1948, the commander of the 9th army, Liao Yaoxiang, spelt L-I-A-O-Y-A-O-X-I-A-N-G, led the army north rather than west first and attacked Zhangwu, Z-H-A-N-G-W-U, taking the city on the 12th of October after a few days of fierce fighting with the communists. Now you might think this is a bit strange, why didn't he lead his army straight west to Jinzhou to rescue the defenders? Why did he go north first to attack another city? Well, it was because Zhangwu was an important supply base for the communist army. So Liao Yaoxiang believed capturing Zhangwu would cause disruption to the communist army's support network. And it did. The communists panicked. After taking Zhangwu, the 9th army then changed course and marched towards Jinzhou. But on the 15th of October, the same day the city of Jinzhou fell, 
the 9th Army were met with fierce resistance 150 kilometers away from Jinzhou by the communists, which meant they also, like the 17th Army at Tashan, weren't able to reach Jinzhou in time. With the city of Jinzhou captured, the nationalists only had two major strongholds left in the northeast, Changchun and Shenyang. So now let's talk about Changchun. Changchun was actually a lot further north than the cities of Jinzhou and Shenyang, and had already been isolated from the rest of the nationalist forces for quite a while now. On the 23rd of May 1948, the communists had already arrived at Changchun and laid siege to the city, besieging and surrounding it. As the city became cut off by land from other nationalist bases, the only link the city had to the outside world was by air. The communists realised this, and the PLA army commander at Changchun, Xiao Jingguang, spelt X-I-A-O-J-I-N-G-G-U-N-G, ordered his soldiers to attack and capture the airport at Changchun, which they did so on the 24th of May 1948. By doing so, it cut off Changchun's links with the outside world, and it meant that the nationalists couldn't bring in supplies by air to the soldiers and civilians inside the city. The nationalists did try to retake the airport, but they were beaten back by the communists every time. The siege and encirclement of Changchun lasted for months and months, until the 19th of October 1948 when the nationalists finally surrendered to the communists, and the communists took Changchun. So on the 15th of October, Jinzhou was captured, and on the 19th of October, Changchun was captured. That only left Shenyang. We're now going to focus on the final stage of the Liaoshan campaign. As we know, after Jinzhou was captured, the Nationalist 17th Army at Tashan retreated back to North China. That only left Liao Yaoxiang's Nationalist 9th Army as the only real military threat to the Communists. After Jinzhou fell, there was no point in the 9th Army continuing their way further down to Jinzhou. So they changed course. Instead of heading west, they now turned and headed east and attacked the towns of Heishan H-E-I-S-H-A-N, and Dahushan, D-A-H-U-S-H-A-N. The reason why Liao Yaoxiang's 9th Army attacked these two towns was because they were in the way to the city of Yingkou, Y-I-N-G-K-O-U. Yingkou was a seaside city and port, and the 9th Army needed to go past Heishan and Dahushan to retreat back to Yingkou. Because, now that Jinzhou was captured, there was no land access to supplies, so the only way to secure a supply line was to secure the city of Yingkou and ensure that there was a sea supply route from Yingkou to their headquarters in Shenyang. So, on the 21st of October 1948, six days after Jinzhou fell, the Nationalist 9th Army attacked Heishan. But the communist defenders at Heishan 
halted their advance and fiercely defended Heishan and Dahushan. And they defended these two places for the next couple of days, despite heavy artillery attacks from the ground and bombing from the air by the nationalists. And this bought valuable time for the main PLA force to arrive from Jinzhou to attack the 9th Army. When the main PLA forces arrived, they subsequently separated the Nationalist 9th Army, broke them apart and encircled each of these small parts, trapping them in the Heishan and Dahushan areas. And, fun fact, if you translate Heishan and Dahushan, literally, they mean Black Mountain and Big Tiger Mountain. That I just thought that was cool. <laughs> so, the Nationalists were trapped and outnumbered. All that was left was for the Communists to launch and deliver the crushing blow. On the 26th of October 1948, under the cover of darkness, the Communist PLA 4th Field Army launched a surprise attack on the Nationalists. Scores of Communist soldiers charged the Nationalist defence lines on all sides and completely wiped out and defeated the Nationalist 9th Army. The commander, Liao Yaoxiang himself, was also captured by the communists. The defeat of the 9th Army was the end of the nationalists in northeast China. Three days later, after they defeated the 9th Army, the communists arrived at Shenyang on the 29th of October 1948. General Wei Li Huang fled the city by plane on the 30th of October 1948. The communists then attacked the city on the 1st of November 1948 and captured the city. With Shenyang captured, the nationalists had effectively lost control of all of northeast China. And when Yingkou fell on the 2nd of November, the whole of northeast China was pretty much in the hands of the communists. And hence, the Liaoshan campaign was officially over. The Liaoshan campaign was the first of the three decisive military campaigns won by the communists. It was a very important win for the communists, because after this campaign, Jiang Jieshi had lost a lot of his most experienced fighters. You see, two of the nationalist forces' best armies, the new 1st Army and the new 6th Army, were part of the 9th Army that got wiped out. These two armies, had been trained during World War II by the Americans. They were equipped with American weaponry, and they had fought and won many victories against the Japanese in Burma, so they were very experienced and hardened fighters. So by losing the new 1st Army and the new 6th Army, it was a huge blow to the nationalist morale. Losing the Northeast also meant that Lin Biao and the PLA 4th Field Army could go straight to North China without any resistance, which would put pressure on the nationalist North China military base there. But you're going to hear more about this one in my episode on the Pingjing campaign. So there were a couple of reasons why the nationalists lost. The first one is, and I think this one's really important, is that the nationalists focused a lot of their efforts trying to consolidate urban areas and cities, whilst Lin Biao and the communists focused on occupying large swaths of the countryside, which meant 
that it was easy for them to cut nationalist military and supply links between cities such as Jinzhou, Shenyang, and Changchun, and thereby isolating them and making them easier to attack. Another reason why I think the nationalists lost was just poor nationalist leadership. For example, General Wei Li Huang was officially the commander of the Northeast China forces, but Jiang Jieshi, being the nationalist leader and the president, would often come in and meddle with General Wei Li Huang's plans. One of the examples was when, after Jin Zhou fell, they were trying to figure out where the 9th Army would go next. Jiang Jieshi was very adamant he wanted the 9th Army to continue west and attack Jin Zhou. Wei Li Huang, on the other hand, said, there's no point attacking that city anymore because the communists have got it. We need to retreat the 9th Army back to Shenyang to bolster Shenyang's defences. And then there was another guy called Du Yuming, who was the deputy commander, who said, no, we need to change the 9th Army's course to Yingkou to secure a sea supply route there. And Liao Yaoxiang, the commander of the 9th Army, also agreed with Du Yuming. It was said that they argued for a complete day without making any decision, and that was a reason why it took five days for Liao Yaoxiang's army to move to Heishan and Dahoshan after Jin Zhou fell, because of all this constant arguing and tension. These five days was crucial for the communist main army at Jin Zhou to catch up and destroy the nationalist 9th army. So yeah, that's it. That's the end of the episode of the Liaoshan campaign, the first of the three decisive military campaigns won by the communists in the Chinese Civil War. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and follow my Instagram at Bamboo History Podcast. If you have any general comments, feedback, topic suggestions, please contact me either by DMing me on Instagram or emailing me. I'll put my details in the description box below. Alright everyone, time for me to go now. Don't forget to tune into part two of this three-part series on the Huaihai campaign, which was the bloodiest and most hard-fought campaign of the three. Want to know more about it? Tune in for next week's episode. Time for me to go now. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now.